May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we have here in this passage from Matthew some words of exhortation and instruction around the very messy and important work of reconciliation. I don't mean to presume to look into what your houses have looked like over the last four months. I only know my own, but uh, coronavirus has most definitely put a strain on relationships, personal relationships, and of course, public, national relationships. And so it's really with such thanksgiving that we have this word from Jesus, a very practical word around engaging in the costly, messy work of reconciliation. Well, just to sort of put this passage in context, uh, what has just preceded it is Jesus has told a parable about a man who had a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep, no doubt a stupid, ornery, irritating sheep, has gone off and gotten itself lost. And what the man does is he leaves all those 99 good, obedient, intelligent sheep to go and search for that lost one. And when he finds it, he rejoices and brings it back to the fold. This is the sort of umbrella over the passage that we just read, this priority for being a people that are all about reconciliation. Why is it? Because if we try to identify with somebody in that story, at some point we realize, I was the lost sheep. That's what it means to be a Christian. I was that bedraggled, lost sheep. I remember at one point in my life when I had done something particularly dreadful, and uh, the Lord discreetly sends somebody to me privately to speak about it, and I went to church to ask God's forgiveness, and I was sitting in the pew, and I looked at the stained glass window, and it was a picture of Jesus surrounded by a bunch of sheep. And I thought, what I have done is so awful, I'm not even in the window. But, um, but then I saw there was this one sheep over his shoulders. And it's like, that's me. I'm a forgiven sheep. And that's who we are. That's the fundamental identity that we hold as Christians. Not as perfect people. Lord have mercy. We are not perfect people. But we are forgiven people. So, that's the context. Here we go to this passage. And actually, just the first sentence is kind of startling. If another member of the church sins against you, go. Excuse me? If I've been sinned against, I'm supposed to go? Aren't I supposed to wait around for the person who sinned against me to come and say, I'm sorry? Not according to this particular model. Now, I will say that there's another story in which Jesus talks about if, you have, if you're coming to the altar with some gifts and you just remember, oh yes, I did a horrible thing to so-and-so, then you are required to put your gift down, scram out of church, go make amends 
ask forgiveness and return. So it's not that Jesus is saying, if you've done something wrong, you shouldn't start the process. It's just the responsibility doesn't end there. The responsibility is even when we know we've been offended by somebody else who has sinned against us. And there's probably more than two, but I'm going to name two reasons for this. The first is an obvious practical one. If you've been sinned against, you know it. You know there's a problem. And you know that if you try to just paper over it and ignore it, it's going to fester, and it's going to mean you really aren't in relationship with that person. So the practical reason being, you know it. So there's a responsibility there to act on that. And the second is, um, it goes back to that first uh, statement about the fact that our identity is as forgiven people. And that identity, Jesus is very clear, even though that forgiveness is given to us freely, it actually puts a burden on us to be forgiving people. So our first identity is that we're forgiven, but then the next thing that flows out of that is that we are forgiving people, and in addition, that we are people who want to make things right. We want to go out of our way to find that, that incredibly irritating sheep that's wandered off, and it's costly, by the way, to go after that sheep, but we want to make things right. There's a wonderful story, actually, about that, that sort of process. I love the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He was uh, kind of abusing his power, uh, collecting taxes for the Romans from his Jewish brothers and sisters, and while he was doing it, he was being sure to stuff some of it in his own pockets. So he was a very rich man, a very rich and corrupt man. He was also a very short man, apparently. Uh, I remember learning from a Sunday school song. And so for that reason, when Jesus comes to town, he wants to see Jesus. So he climbs up into a tree. And uh, Jesus comes below, and Zacchaeus is thinking, Jesus won't see me, I'm hiding up in the tree, but I'll see him. And Jesus points up to him, and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up, get down from that tree. He said, I'm going to stay in your house tonight. Wow, what an invitation into relationship, into reconciliation from Jesus himself. And Zacchaeus' response, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, he says, and anybody that I have defrauded, I will give back fourfold. Just that deep sense out of the reconciling love of Jesus to make things right the best he can to make things right. So, back to our passage. Uh, If someone sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. This is another interesting thing, because typically, I don't know about you, but if somebody does something wrong to me, my inclination is to want to go and find people who I know love and support me and tell them all about how horrible that person is who just did that. Well, they're not there to hear and defend themselves. But actually, Jesus says, no, don't do that. Uh, he, and I, I, I don't even know exactly the reason. Um, I think one is that when we've been hurt, there's a lot of energy there. We're just not neutral. There's a lot of energy that happens when we've been hurt. Use that energy to go to the person directly, alone. Not get your little cohort and blow off some of your steam in that sense. There's a way in which we can use that energy 
for reconciliation. I will say, there are some situations in which it may not be best to go by yourself to the person, you know, if you've actually been physically hurt or whatever. Um, this is one way of reconciliation that comes highly recommended from Jesus, but it's not the only way. Okay, fine, we're supposed to be a reconciling, forgiving people, great, but what if you just don't want to go? What if what the person did was just too awful? Maybe even it wasn't to you. Maybe it was to somebody you love, somebody really vulnerable. That person did that to that person, and I'm supposed to go? I don't want to. What does it mean if I forgive them? Is that right? Well, I think there's a couple things that can be helpful in this circumstance, because actually, there are people who go to their grave not forgiving somebody. And that's serious. Jesus says that is very serious. So one thing to remember, and this is really important, is that forgiving somebody is not the same as forgetting. Reconciliation is all about establishing the truth, establishing the facts. True reconciliation is about honesty and not just covering things over. Um, I love this quote, actually. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It means remembering the past in a new way. When we ask for Christ's forgiveness, the effect is that insofar as the past is remembered again, it will have lost the power to hurt us and make us afraid. There's a way in which Jesus entering into this process of forgiveness releases the power of sin. So forgiving isn't forgetting. It's not about not telling the truth. But it's also just a question of asking yourself, what do I lose if I let go of this precious thing called my hostility? What do I lose when I do that? That's worth pondering. And then finally, uh, you know, it's okay to want to want to forgive. God can work with that. God can work with that, to want, to want, to forgive. God will use that to bless you and to bring about restoration. So here we are. Go, and you do it uh, alone, and uh, hopefully the person listens to you, and if they do, what a joyful celebration that is of reconciliation. If you have experienced that from either side, I know you can remember it right now because it's the most amazing thing. It's a, it's a foretaste of heaven right there. But Jesus is a practical man. He says sometimes the person doesn't listen, and they won't, they won't agree with you. They won't admit. They won't own their sin. So he says there's a step two, and that is that you bring witnesses to come. And there's sort of a multi-purpose here in the witnesses coming. Yes, it is to sort of document in a judiciary way what, has, what the wrong has been, but it is also to give that person yet another opportunity to be regained, to be brought back, to explain to them, are they going to persist or are they going to listen maybe to these other people who can explain it better? The purpose of this endeavor is always towards reconciliation and bringing back. Well, if the person doesn't listen to that, finally uh, we're told to bring it to the church. Now, when this was written, of course, there was a way in which um, 
The synagogue or the church had a power to excommunicate. The church still does today to say that's beyond the bounds. Um, the thing is today, because we're such a secular society, uh, I think people just tend to leave. They don't, they don't have to have the church tell them to leave. They just feel they're outside and they leave. Um, but the question then is, does the church have a responsibility to, as the scripture says, bind and loose? I always think that's an interesting phrase. Um, and in this context, it has to do with loosing is forgiving, exonerating. You are free. You can be with us. You've, your sins are forgiven. That's loosing. Binding is saying your sin is real. It is terribly destructive to you and to this person and then therefore the body. And actually, we can't condone it. We bind it. It's until you want to repent, you can't be with us. Um, and of course, that, that's jarring because Jesus told us not to judge and all those things. But here he says explicitly that there are times when this is necessary. And I, I like what Bonhoeffer has to say about this. Uh, Bonhoeffer says, Only the church which identifies wrong can forgive it. There's no such thing as wrong. There's no such thing as forgiveness. And so it is part of the mission of the church to say when something is a sin. And of course, Bonhoeffer's context was in Germany, where the national church refused to condemn the Nazi party, which is why Bonhoeffer eventually had to leave the national church, because it was no longer a church in his mind when it didn't proclaim sin as sin. So kind of a quick overview, I, I, I encourage you to investigate this passage more specifically as it pertains to your own life and asking the Lord, is there some relationship in which I have been hurt? And God is asking me today to do something about that. But I want to point out the final verse, which really is the most exciting one. Verse 19. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now this verse has been used sort of more generally for the church as the power of people believing and asking on, in the name of Jesus. But I actually think today we need to think of it very much in the context of this passage where we had another mention of two or three gathered. That was those witnesses who were called in to be about the mission of reconciliation of the church. And it seems to me that this passage very particularly says that if that is our priority, reconciliation, being honest, digging up the truth, trying to bring this person back into repentance, into fellowship, God is going to accomplish it. If we are in agreement about that, there is such power that God has given us for that specifically. The story that comes to mind here for me is, uh, is of um, Stephen, the first martyr. Remember, Stephen was being stoned. And, uh, and as he was being stoned, he prayed. 
he prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Powerful prayer. There might have been somebody else in the crowd praying the same thing, two or three gathered. And we know what happened out of that. Because the person who had said, yes, I am pleased with this stoning as I watch it, that person was Paul. Was Paul. Look what happened to him as a result of that prayer. Powerful things can happen when we are in agreement about desiring the reconciliation of our Christian brothers and sisters, of fellowship. So let us, uh, as, as the forgiven ones, be reconcilers.